Luke chapter number 22 and verse number 8, it says that, And he, Jesus, said to Peter and John, he told them to go and prepare us uh, the Passover. And so we're getting to, we're in this last week, as you know, headed into the cross. And Jesus tells John and Peter to leave, something that these two men would have been familiar with their entire lives. They would have been part of a Passover meal. Other uh, people, the Jewish people, have been doing this now for 1,500 years. I want to make sure you know the history of the Passover. You go back to the book of Exodus, right before the children of Israel are going to leave Egypt, where the great Red Sea story that you know about, the great deliverance God provides. The nights before they leave, um, in Exodus 12, chapter number 2, it says, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Which God says, I'm doing something new here. I'm going to start something new with you. We're going to, this will be the first month of the year to you. And then speak unto all the congregation of Israel. One of the first times of the Bible that this group, this family that has grown, gets referred to as a congregation, as a nation. And he says, In the tenth day of the month thou shalt take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And so it's a meal and it's a sacrifice. The next verse would say that if your family was small, so much that you wouldn't be able to eat the entire lamb, you can invite your neighbors to join you because it was something that bound them together, that welded this group together um, as a congregation. And so as they would take the lamb, the sacrifice would be made. They would take the blood from the lamb and that they would paint over with the blood over the doorpost. And so when the death angel would come and would look and see him, The blood was on the door, and because the blood was on the door, he would pass over that home. And so now this has been happening for 1,500 years. It tells us in that same passage that not only all the things that they're supposed to do, how the lambs should be prepared, how the families should join together, every home should do this, it also tells us uh, how they were going to be dressed that they should be dressed, ready to run with their shoes uh, tied uh, together and um, ready to go with staff um, in hand and remembering the great exodus that, that God was going to give them, the great deliverance from the enemies that they had in Egypt and the way that they had been treated. Sam Wilson, who's with us often on um, throughout the year, he travels, as you know, uh, works with uh, Jewish people. On the night of uh, Easter, he is going to lead us through a Passover Seder, and he's going to show us uh, these things as he's done uh, before, and I, and I look forward to it. So there he tells John and uh, Peter that they need to go and prepare the Passover, and they knew what that required, what was the preparation. But they're going to find the preparation that Jesus had already made. That's in verse number 10 where he says, where are, you, where are we going to find a place, you know? All the Airbnbs would have been filled. We've talked about how filled this is. This is a holiday beyond anything that we could really understand that every place possible. If you lived within the area, your family and friends are wanting to know, can I, can I stay with you on this weekend when this is going on? Finding a place would have been just nearly impossible without some advanced planning. Well, Jesus had done that. He had made preparation for them. And he said that um, when you're going, you're going to see a man walking with a pitcher of water. And when you go to them, speak to them, and he will tell you where you need to go. I reminded you this was a sacrifice. It required being done in the area of the temple there in Jerusalem with the oversight of the priest. This wasn't just happening anywhere, but there was a place in which they were supposed to go. And so there needs to be a preparation for a room for them to have this meal together. 
I wondered, how are they going to know that a man is walking with a pitcher of water? That seems like that would be a quite easy thing to do, you know? You go down to the restaurant, whoever's drinking a Coca-Cola, then, you know, that's who you're supposed to speak to. Like, the odds aren't uh, very good uh, that you're going to find it. But a little bit of study, I see that um, it's not often that men would have been carrying a jar of water. They normally would carry a wineskin. We know the story of the woman of the well that was typically given uh, to the women of the day. And so that would have been noticeable. I don't know all the means in which it was done, but I know that our Lord and Savior had made preparation for them so that they could have a room that was set up. And when, he go, when they find them, the man knew exactly what they were talking about and takes them to the room. And so now they have to, the room is set up, they see it. They see that it's laid out, that it's going to be able to hold uh, the group that they're going to have. And so they get the lamb that was prepared by the priest, and they're going to bring it in to the temple. And as that is happening, as that Passover is being prepared, the real Passover lamb is being prepared for them, and it's being prepared for them in the most striking and surprising way. That's what we see in verses 1 through 7 of this chapter. As I said, there's two parallel preparations going on. That's where... The chief priests and the scribes and the religious rulers of the day had gathered to figure out how they could kill Jesus because they feared the people. And what they needed was an opportunity when he was not with the multitude. And they were considering that. And how were we going to do it? I told you a few weeks ago, remember, they said, we can't kill him during this time of the festival. There's too many people. And Jesus said, no, you're going to kill me. Um, you will. This will happen. He prophesied the death. And they're going to walk right into uh, what they said they would not do. Their anger and their fear of the people have brought them to this point. So they're devising a plan. So how is this Passover lamb being prepared for them? How is Jesus being prepared to be the final Passover lamb? Well, first of all, it's by the betraying words and the actions of an unfaithful disciple. As they're talking, how are we ever going to do this? How will we find Jesus at a time where there's not a multitude? Judas walks into the story and he says, I will betray Jesus. I will tell you where he will be at uh, so that you will uh, know And um, we find in scriptures, in all the gospel records, it references the money. But in John, it tells us that Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, who would betray Jesus, why was he not, um, he sees that um, somebody was giving worship to Jesus, an ointment was given to Jesus, and uh, the woman there was washing the feet of Jesus, and he looks and he says, why would you do this when all this money could be taken and be given to the poor? And then we learn there that he was a thief. And he had the bag and the bear that he put therein, that Judas loved money. It's being highlighted for us. A motivating force for Judas in betraying Jesus was, he's not the Messiah that's going to be the king now. I am not going to be elevated in this lifetime. What can I get from this? And he decides he's going to cash in. He's going to negotiate. Because money becomes life. Money represents time. And so Judas wants to take from his life to add to his own. So we see the betraying of an unfaithful disciple. We see the evil purposes of Satan and then the scheming of religious leaders. Can you imagine the most famous or influential religious leaders of the day? We've said that politically they would have been separated, but because of their hatred for Jesus, they're now all united in that. But they're all sitting together, devising a plan how that they could kill someone and they want to kill Jesus when Judas walks in. And this is a preparation as well. 
This is a fulfillment of Scripture. Just like where Jesus told John and Peter, you're going to see a man walking with a pitcher. 500 years before this story, in Zechariah, we have a passage that tells us that it's going to be prophesied. Parallel passage in Matthew, Judah says, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? There's a negotiation. What can I get out of betraying Jesus? Well, the number had already been decided. Zechariah chapter number 11, verses 12 and 13. Follow along in your Bible here on the screen with me. But it says, And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it into the potter, a goodly price, that I was prized out of them. And they took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. In this prophecy, we see a negotiation. Judas makes a negotiation. What will you give me for this? The amount and the fact that it's silver remains the same. And then in Zechariah it says, but they will cast it before the potter. We don't see that in Luke chapter number 22. What are they meaning about casting before the potter? You may know this, or maybe you're learning this today, is that after Jesus betrays, uh, or after Judas betrays Jesus, he will take those pieces of silver, he will go back to the men that he receives it from, and he will give that to them, and he will go and hang himself. And they will take that money, and they will say, we don't want this money. So they will go and buy a piece of land from a potter that will become the burial grounds for the poor. So Jesus made preparation, as we see with the story of John and Peter. But we see the God of heaven making preparation here and being prophesied far before. And so now we have the last and the ultimate Passover lamb that's being prepared. Jesus is the final and ultimate Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 7 says it just like that. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, and ye unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So in the book here in Luke, we're seeing preparation that is made. We should not be missing the point. One is sitting at the table prepared by John and Peter, and the second will walk in, wash the feet of those that will betray him, and sit down. So two stories running parallel come together when Jesus sits at the table with his disciples. And in the Bible, God has made it so very clear to the nation of Israel and to us today as we're reading this about the fact that Jesus Christ is our final Passover lamb, that he is the ultimate redeemer. You know, I told you John and Peter were led into the room, incredible preparation. But you know, 2,000 years before the story in Luke chapter number 22 is the famous story that you should know of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham takes his son upon the mountain and he's going to sacrifice his son But there is provision that is made for him. There is a ram that is there. There is a substitute that will die in the place of his son. And that God provided that for him. And that picture is so clear. Then you go a thousand years from that story. And David did what he was told that he was not supposed to do. But it would be a very easy temptation for a king, which is, how many people do I have fighting for me these days? Somebody get me a count. But he was told that he wasn't supposed to have a count on those things. And God was moving, and people were dying. Um, and the, and the, God comes to this one place that is owned by man, and it stops. 
And David goes to that place and he tells the man, I want to purchase this land. I want to build an altar uh, that is here where the angel hath stopped. And the man's name was Ornan the Jebusite. And so David wants to buy the lamb, but he says, I'm not going... The man says, I'll just give it to you. You're the king. And David says, I don't want to have anything that doesn't cost me. So he purchases this land, which happens to be in the area where Abraham and Isaac, where that was seen. And then now it's here. And then when David makes preparation for the temple, and he looks at the land that he owns, where the temple is going to be built, it's in the same spot that he had purchased. And so God is continually showing all throughout the Bible, this plan of redemption of how he provides um, for, uh, for his people. And so it ought to be evidently clear for us here. Do you know the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite? It was on the Mount Moriah. Jesus is somewhere within yards of it, within the temple. The same temple is built upon uh, the foundation of Solomon's temple. As God has sent a person carrying water to help John and Peter, and now God has made all the preparations for a very clear picture of redemption. And then not only that, but God has preserved his word and he's placed it in your lap today in front of you. And I hope you don't miss it. The Bible has been so clear to us that Jesus Christ is our substitute for our sins. And he wants the world to know this. And so the two stories merge. So when Jesus gets to the table... And he walks up and he says, with desire, I had desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The disciples are yet to, to really understand it. They haven't embraced the truth. Time and time again, we see this about them. In John chapter 20, it says they don't, they don't know the scriptures and that he will rise again. They don't seem to understand. They continue to argue. Uh, there's things they do that they, uh, that they should understand, but they don't. They ask questions. We see that they're just ordinary people. They were... That Jesus was fully aware and fully prepared as he sat down at the meal, understanding. He told them, I want to have this meal with you before I'm going to suffer. Jesus made it clear to them that he was fully aware. In the days and months to come, when they'll see the resurrection and all these things happen, and they'll go back and they'll consider Jesus' words at that last meal with them, and they're going to know our Savior was not taken by surprise, that he laid down his life. And the holiness of God is written on every sentence of God's word. We see God from the word. And so now the Lamb of God sits down at the table for the Passover meal. And then think about all of those that are around this table. One of them are going to lay their head upon the chest of Christ during this meal. One of them is going to make a statement in his pride about how he would never deny Christ. And he is going to. It's the matter of hours. The other disciples who are sitting there with him and enjoying it, the ones that he had washed their feet, they are going to scatter as he goes to the cross. And then one of them is sitting there who is considering what he might do with all the money that he gets for betraying Jesus. And Jesus knows who's at the table. He knows all that is going to come. And Jesus completely knew who was at the table. And he also knows completely who is in the room today. He knows all of this. And he says that with great desire, he wants to have this meal, and then he is going to suffer. You and I could never possibly be loved any greater, because there's no greater expression of love possible. For a person that sees completely all those around the table, and he knows our sin, he knows our weakness, 
He knows the ways that we will act unloving towards Him. He knows the ways we'll act in shame towards Him. And there's nothing that can't be known by Him about us. And He still says, with desire, I desire to have this meal with you. And then I'm going to suffer. And so if you'll just let this resonate in your soul for a moment, just for a moment, because what Jesus is emphasizing is His earnest desire for this event. We have no idea how much He loves you. We really don't. Think for a moment about the things that... that you most want no one to know about you. The shame, the disgrace, the sin, the humiliation that you most want no one to know. And Christian, your Savior said to the Father, I want to bear that sin for them. I want to bear that sin upon the cross. He knew completely, he prepared, and he said, with desire, I desire to have this meal before I suffer. And then verses 18 and 19, there's a change. I told you for 1,500 years, Passover meal was laid out in Exodus very clearly of how it needs to be done. John and Peter had seen it done um, every year of their life. But then verses 18 and 19, there's a break in what was happening. Paul, Paul gives us more details about it. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, it says that he received this information from the Lord. And then he says the same thing that Jesus says to his disciples about he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance. And the example that is given for us on that night, as Jesus will go past the Passover, he will end the final Passover that they've ever seen that will ever need to be had because he is the ultimate sacrifice. And then from there, he will take the bread and he will break it. And he'll say, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance. And so he prepared the meal and now he's going to prepare the disciples. He's telling them that death is tomorrow and that he will be the sacrifice for sin. His broken body will be the sacrifice the entire Old Testament has been pointing Two, that everything that they had ever known about the sacrificial lamb, the one that would bear their griefs, that would carry their sorrows, the one that would esteem to be stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, that would be wounded by our transgressions, all the passages that they would have read in Isaiah. He's saying, tomorrow, when you see me hanging from a cross, that instrument of death for the cursed, know that I will not be a victim of the Romans. I will be the lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world. I will be a substitute for your sins. I will bear your sins, and that's what I will be doing on your behalf. And he has built it in through their understanding, story after story throughout the Bible, from Genesis to this time, he showed that there had to be a sacrifice for their sins. And so please do not miss this. We are given an even fuller picture. History tells us that it was common in the days after the resurrection and the decades to come, that a common passage of people that would be preaching would have been from Exodus 19 about the final Passover lamb. History is filled with messages where people were making that connection. It isn't just some creative sermon series that some pastor could have done, but in the Bible it gets highlighted for us that we should see Jesus at this Last Supper as the Passover prepared for us. So the scriptures give us three life giving truths all throughout the New Testament that are going to be seen time and time again. One of them is this. Jesus is the Passover lamb given for the redemption of his people. When Jesus walks and John the Baptist first sees him in John chapter number one, and he says, what does he say? You know what it says. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the redemption for the people. 
Also, we see that Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of them for the forgiveness of their sins. Galatians, Christ has redeemed this, 3.13. Christ has redeemed this from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf to be forgiven of our sins. The cross was a place for the curse. The cross out, he was going to be crucified in our place. And then the third point is Jesus willingly and lovingly died in our place. And that's what we saw. With desire, I have desire to eat this Passover. He is our redemption. He is our substitutionary sacrifice. And he willingly and lovingly died for us. And so as he finishes that last Passover meal, he teaches his disciples something new. And just like they've had 1,500 years of doing the Passover meal, now us, the church, has had 2,000 years of taking the Lord's Supper together, taking, being at the Lord's table together, 2,000 years of history. And what does he do? He gives teaching at that time, which is to remind, when you do this, do this in remembrance. When you take this, remember the blood that was shed for you. When you do this, remember the bread that is broken for you. And he continue. Doesn't tell us how often to do it, but it says every time or as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Just like he was clear all throughout the Old Testament and showing the picture that we needed a sacrifice to die for us in our place at the Lord's table, we're reminded of it the same. So we've had 2,000 years and now you're also going to get 21 days, all right? In 21 days... Before, as we get ready for Easter, on the night of April the 2nd, I'm going to invite you to the Lord's table, to the breaking of bread, and I want us to have this time together as it was given to us by Jesus to his disciples. And I'd like to give some practical preparation. Oftentimes, we, I would share this information with you on the same night that we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and there'd be preparation. But I want you to take the next three weeks as we head into Easter I want you to prepare your hearts. I want you to prepare parents in here. I want you to prepare your children. And I want to give a few things as some practical preparation. I want us to be clear in our terms. I want you to know that when we take the Lord's Supper, um, there is no sacrifice. The final sacrifice has been made. Jesus Christ is the final and ultimate sacrifice. So we're not meeting for a sacrifice. We're meeting to remember the sacrifice that is made. We don't refer to it. As a sacrament, I don't, the, the word often, as it's used as common, means that, that a priest is involved and that they're bestowing grace upon you as a means of working towards your salvation. Why wouldn't I and, and Greg and Pastor Bo as, and others and the deacons as we will distribute that day, we are not priests that are giving out the grace of God on that day. We are fellow believers and fellow members of a church taking place in something that was given to us by Jesus. We don't use the term Eucharist. That also refers to a feast of gratitude, probably a very good word, but that expression often refers to bestowing grace. What is often called in our world is an ordinance. Jesus gave an ordinance to the church to maintain. He says, I'm going to give this to you as a church. I'm going to give you baptism. I'm going to give you Lord's Supper. You know, the Cornwells don't have, we don't have baptisms at our house. We don't take the Lord's Supper at our house because it isn't something that's given to me. It's something given to me to take with you as a church family. 
as a church, we will do this. And the, the church in the book of Acts, the early church, this was the expression in Acts 27, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continued speech unto midnight. Everyone would have known at the time what it meant by the breaking of bread. In 1 Corinthians 10, 21, it says you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devil cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So you have the breaking of bread and you have the Lord's table. And I would like for you to know and use that expression. It's so much more warm than the word ordinance, right? And the word that the Bible would use is that the Lord's table and the breaking of bread. In 21 days, I'm going to invite you to break bread. I'm going to invite you to the Lord's table. And this meeting at this table has a specific and designed purpose. We do this in remembrance of Christ, the sacrifice for our sins. Baptism, Lord's Supper, is a means in which God has given us and which helps us protect and have an understanding of the gospel. The nation of Israel had festival and holiday and time after time. They had oral stories being shared with them and they're constantly being reminded of them of what they would need to maintain and keep and help people have an understanding that there needed to be a sacrifice for sins. Well, God has given us, the church, this ordinance and this command that we would continue. And so that all that are watching on, from the youngest to the oldest, those that grew up in church and outside, when they see us come together, they will see a clear picture of the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ has died in our place. And as a church, we often, we invite those that are with us. If you have family that's visiting with you, and they're a member of a church, and they've been saved, and they've been baptized, and they're living obedience to the Lord, and they're visiting, we'll often invite them to join us in the Lord's Supper on the, on the day that they are here uh, with us. However, it's given to us as a special occasion for us as a church family. That's who is supposed to take the Lord's Supper together. It's a, it's a, it unifies us together around this common confession that Jesus um, is the Christ. It says that we're living in this together and we remember the cross. So I'd like to give you some practical application. If you're here with us and um, you're considering joining the church, would you, would you make a decision and maybe ask the questions and so that in 21 days from now, if this is a church that you should be a member of, that you would come in here and we would have known your testimony. Somebody would be at the next steps table today. And as somebody joins our church, we want to hear their testimony. We can do this through video. You can do this through a life group. You can do this when meeting with a group of people. But it's important to us that we have a saved, baptized membership because of what Christ has commanded of us. I'd also encourage you, if you haven't been baptized... If you put your faith and trust in Christ, but you've never followed with baptism, that is the next step that Christ has for you. I don't know in here today what many of your next steps are, but if you're saved and you haven't been baptized, I know what your next step is, all right? It's clearly outlined for us, and we would love to help you. So we have 21 days. And so that's a way that some of you, a practical way that some of you may need to get prepared as we will meet at the Lord's table on April the 2nd in the evening service for a time of worship um, about the cross and a time of remembrance. But there's a personal preparation for all of us. As I said, Paul said that he got his teaching directly from, uh, from the Lord when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, it says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. 
And so it tells us that when we come together at the Lord's table and all of us would come and it would be set up here and you would come into that, that day, that you should examine your heart, not on the night of that event, but in advance over the next 21 days. And we don't find that there's ever any kind of reference to self-barring yourself from the table, which is to say, if you know something that's in your life that needs to be dealt with, then deal with it. Don't just skip out and say, well, I'm just not going to take the Lord's Supper. Maybe I'll be ready for the next one. That would, be a, that would be a shame. There's no reason for that to be the case. And so deal with the matters in your life that would prevent you from coming to the table. In this examination process, we should look at our lives. Just a few things practically here. We should look at it vertically, horizontally, internally, and externally. I'll explain this to you. Vertically means we examine our relationship with God. Are we walking with God? Do we see a separation from sin? Are we partaking of the, de- the table of the devil and the Lord's table? Are there things in our life that are not becoming, that are not fit for a Christian? And we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to repent. We need to go to him. And we need to examine our heart. Be like the psalmist David. They'll cry out to God and say, God, search my heart. The horizontal examination, do we find any division between us and our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? That we're told that we ought to be living peaceably among one another. If there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness, there's problems among us, then we need to address those things before we come to the Lord's table. And what a gracious gift that God would give us, that we'd say that we want to keep short accounts so that when we come to this table, we will be in one heart. This internal examination, unconfessed sin, idols of the heart, private sins that keep hidden from the public. That examining that I spoke about, just not vertically our relationship, but internally ask him to look. Then externally, do you find anything that's preventing you from living out the covenant that you've made with this church to share the message of Christ? And so we consider that. Over the next 21 days, I'm calling on you, Vision Baptist Church, that would examine our hearts and we would prepare them. And we would come to the Lord's table and we would follow in it as Jesus gave to his disciples. And we would celebrate this final Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. And we would do it in such a way that our kids would understand what's going on. That the unbelieving world would see what was happening among us. I want to challenge you uh, to do that. Today we saw recorded just a beautiful story. I was overwhelmed by it as I just saw these two different stories coming together as the preparation was made for the meal, but now Judas is over here making preparation for the death of Christ, and they come together. Believers, we should always be moved with this expression of love. And just like John and Peter, we should be looking to Jesus and asking, what is next when we follow him? And I would encourage you to take this time to ask him to examine your heart. Would you mind praying with me? Today, as we will pray, believers, maybe you'd recognize the day that your heart is, as it's being examined, that it's weighted, it's weighed and it's found wanting. Believers in here, would you speak to the Lord? Kristen begins to play the piano. Would you speak to him? Would you respond to the word in a way that would be correct and right? Do that examination vertically, horizontally, eternally, and externally that should examine your heart and consider what Christ has done on your behalf and ask him over the next 21 days what are the areas in which he would want to address in our lives what steps should we take if you're a believer in here today and you have decisions that you need to make about being part of this church family I pray that you will pray that you'll do the research that you need and 
ask the questions, but you'll make a spiritual decision and that you'll join us at the Lord's table on that day. But as believers are in here praying and speaking to the Lord and he's speaking with them and they're examining their heart, I'd ask in here today that maybe you would say that your heart has been weighed and found wanting. And as you would examine your heart, that you would see that though you're not like Judas, you know that you have no true love for the one who died for you, that your affections aren't given to him. He's not the Lord of your life, that this story of the cross, it might as well just be a fairy tale to you because it has no personal implications to your life. I would like to ask you today, would you consider the claims that Jesus Christ has made upon your life? And would you obediently submit yourself today, repent of your sins, and call upon him to be Lord? Several in here, many did this at a young age, some did as adults. But it all comes as the Holy Spirit works in your life. And maybe you would recognize today the work of the Holy Spirit. And there in your seat, you would pray to him. You would ask him to forgive you of your sins. And he will do so. That you put your faith in him. That he is the one that has died for your sins. And that you recognize that today. And that you want to be part of the believers who take this message to the ends of the world. Heavenly Father, I pray for all those that are in attendance today. Lord, you know our hearts. As you knew those that were around the table, you know those that are around this room today. And you know the decisions that need to be made. Lord, some of us may be like those disciples where we are going to scatter in a few days, Lord, because our, um, we just become ashamed and we're scared. Lord, there may be some in here today that are just full of pride and, and they need to recognize that just as Peter was unprepared, Maybe they're unprepared for the temptations that are coming uh, this week. And Father, if there's any among us today that have not put their faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Lord, I'm so grateful for this group that we get to continue with and knowing and celebrating the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.